Welcome back to the Green Rush. I'm your host today. I'm Josh Kincaid, host of the Talking Hedge, your cannabis business podcast. With me for the next couple of segments, Josh Krosny, Director of Cannabis Events with MJH Life Sciences, and Meg LaRue. She's a Group Editorial Director of Cannabis Science and Technology, also with Cannabis Patient Care and MJH Life Sciences. Also with us, we've got three other guests, Riley Madler, She's the president of Riley Sunshine. Also, Janie Madler. She's managing partner and chief operating officer of Riley Sunshine. And Dr. Leah Sarah. She's the associate professor and program director, master of science in medical cannabis science and therapeutics with the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. Ladies, thanks for being with us. And Josh, thank you all. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Josh, do you want to jump in? and Because uh, these are some of your guests. Maybe introduce them. Um, Take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's start with uh, Janie and Riley. Um, you know, these these special ladies have been a part of my life for, for many, many years. And, um, you know, we touched a little bit earlier about pediatrics and, and the advocacy there and how that has been a part of my journey since the beginning. And um, knowing this family that you see right in front of you has been a big part of that. And I remember when Riley was yay high to the knee and now she, uh, you know, has back then her mom was sharing her story, you know, with her, but now she is a young adult and she's going out and sharing her own story. So I would love for you guys to just, you know, maybe introduce yourself briefly and talk about how you got into the industry um, and what, what the years have been like. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm Riley Madler. Um, how I got into the industry kind of. Um, in second grade, I was diagnosed with aggressive giant cell granuloma bone tumors. And basically what they did is they ate away the majority of the bones in my face and I was supposed to be deformed for the rest of my life, no teeth. Um, and my mom, uh, she was looking up certain options to help me with my pain because I had a lot of bone pain in my face. And cannabis kept popping up. So we decided to try it. And right away, we saw good results in my pain and swelling. And only a few months later, we saw bone regeneration and tumor shrinkage. And so um, once I left the hospital, uh, I asked my mom, you know, why we have to hide the fact that I take my medicine, which is cannabis. And uh, she told me it was illegal. So I was like, why don't we change that? So um, I made medicinal cannabis for pediatrics legal in Delaware. Um, I made my foundation, Riley Smile Foundation. And we've passed multiple laws within the state of Delaware to uh, help widen access of medicinal cannabis. Can That's I step awesome. in and, and just ask a question about how that happened? Do you think that CBD was the gateway towards that regulation? And can we blame Charlotte for that awareness? Um, well, um, I definitely think it, it, it probably helped, but yeah, yeah. we were still facing a lot of stigma in Delaware. Like yeah, in Delaware, of... we lived in a place where <laughs> there wasn't much education around it. And people in our state, like it was legal and most of the legislators, they were all just very against it. I think it just had to do with our region. Um, and and I, yeah, yeah, I think um, it took them relating to this little girl, like begging for her life. Yeah. Um, for them to like break down those walls yeah. and, and actually like look into yeah. it and they gave gave us a lot of questions. yeah I talked to each legislator separately mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. I definitely think that Charlotte like helped um, oh, and yeah. to pay to at least soften soften that wall that mm -hmm. had to come down and she did definitely helped it yeah wow. so Riley what um why was it so important to you after you know 
going through this and helping to change laws, why was it so important for you to use your voice, you know, and travel the world and speak to others and, you know, not just in the cannabis industry, but also in, in different governments and in different settings? Like, why was it important for you to not only get the help you needed, but to also use your voice to, to try to help others? Ever since I was little, once I left the hospital, I had almost like survivor's guilt while I where like I felt like it was unfair that I was better and I knew about cannabis and I took it and that other patients in the hospital they couldn't their families didn't know about it so that's why I made my foundation to help educate families all around the world and through that through you I started being able to speak by myself and um, I just started speaking in as many places as I could because I realized that it's so important for doctors everywhere to know how important cannabis is as a medicine and I just made it my goal to help as many kids and people in general as I can. You're such an amazing speaker, Riley. I heard you talk um, in May at CSC West, and I, I was like in tears over everything you were saying. Oh, thank you. Your talks are really incredible. Could you share a little bit about what you're planning to present at CSC East in a couple of weeks? Yeah. So um, my presentation, um, my main goal is to like give the audience a good idea of like how much medicinal cannabis greatly impacts pediatrics and why we must advocate for all pediatrics to have legal access to medicinal cannabis. That's great. And Janie, you're giving a talk as well, right? Can you share? What yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm in the psychedelic section and what we have found is even in states that you know, where cannabis is illegal or psilocybin is illegal, um, parents are still reaching out to us asking, like, how do I do this? How do, how do I maneuver getting this for my child? Because it's, we've tried everything on earth. And um, so it came, we came to the conclusion that whether or not it's, it's illegal, parents are going to use it, but they're not going to reach out for, um, and they're not going to reach out for help. So, um, the main point of my talk is just to identify like what psychedelics are kind of popular and out there, what they look like and some harm reduction. Um, and a little of that, of that will be kind of like a, a show and tell thing of like, this is what they look like. Um, this is how people usually prepare them. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, families are fall victim very quickly to other people who are supposedly growers, cultivators. Um, and don't have the best intentions. So we just want to arm patients and families with like how to identify how it's supposed to be prepared and some of the harm reduction techniques. So Janie, do you see that like uh, different from cannabis, how like most people in their life that had some type of experience or at least exposure to it? I would imagine with psychedelics, a lot of people, it's probably their first time even thinking about it, let alone seeing it or being in the same room with it. So are you seeing a big difference there from kind of the knowledge going into it, even if that knowledge is basic, like a lot of people have <laughs> cannabis compared to, to the psychedelic industry. Yeah, it, it seems like with, with cannabis, people um, want to know like, how is this working? Is this, is this dangerous? Is it gonna interact with my other medicines or my child's chemotherapy? And they like, we have to like really dig deep and get down to the nitty gritty of like, it educating parents and it seems like with psilocybin they're just like how can how can I get access they have no more questions like you know how can I get access how much should I use and there's no, no questions about like um you know how does this work or will this interact and it's it's quite different um and I don't know why that is but um like we have we have a family that we're working with right now and you know, trying different types of phenotypes for their daughter who su suffers from like really severe OCD and, and autism. 
and their older son told them that they should use, you know, psilocybin for their daughter. And like, it's a really good idea. And at, when their mom told me that she was so, she was scared to ask me at first. And then I was just, I was just surprised because I couldn't imagine talking to telling my parents, Hey, give, you know, give little, little brother some psilocybin. He'll be fine. <laughs> you know, I just wouldn't have crossed my mind to, to, you know, communicate that to my parents. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Dr. Sarah, I want to get you involved too here. Um, you're speaking, I think, in the psychedelic track as well. Do you want to share a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing there in the psychedelics realm? Sure, and, and I just want to say hi to, uh, to Riley and Janie as well. They spoke last spring at our symposium. Hopefully they'll uh, be willing to come back and speak to another class next spring. And it was just, it's wonderful. You're inspirational uh, wherever you go. So I'm excited to be sharing this um, this uh, screen space with you today and um, to be speaking uh, alongside you guys at CSC West. So um, I'm also speaking in the psychedelic track along with two of my colleagues, Dr. Chad Johnson and Dr. Andy Koop. Um, we all uh, teach in the Master of Science in Medical Cannabis Science and Therapeutics program. Um, but what we're uh, talking about at this, um, at the CSC is, is psychedelics. You know, like many people, there's, we've really been uh, interested and, and um, inc reading increasingly about this resurgence in, um, in, in interest in psychedelics as medicine. And because our, our perspective on cannabis as medicine has always been that it is medicine, and that is how we want to approach it and how we, we teach it, um, that, you know, it's, it's no... Uh, more or less special than other than other medicines, you know, um, and that what makes it different is history and politics, right? That's the difference, but it's still medicine. And so we're, um, we have seen that there are lots of wonderful talks um, in the psychedelic track. And so as the keynote, we really hope to give an overview of um, a little bit of the history uh, Dr. Coop and, and Dr. Johnson are going to talk about the pharmacology and some of the me medicinal chemistry of these um, of some of these psychedelic compounds. I'll give a talk a little bit about some of the research that's been going on, um, and we really hope to um, kind of open up this uh, the psychedelic track um, to get people excited about all of the other talks that'll be happening in that track later in the conference. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And Dr. Sarah, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, the difference between the burgeoning and psychedelics industry compared to the cannabis industry, because what I feel like we're seeing in psychedelics is a lot more clinical research based approach to compare to cannabis, which has largely been an advocacy based approach going back to the 90s in California with Prop 215. So it seems like we kind of saw a little bit of this conversation with psychedelics when we went in to hibernation for COVID, but then it feels like we came out and it's just so much has developed and popped up all over the place from ketamine to, to psilocybin to DMT and just research is being done, you know, across the board. So what do you see just from, you know, your standpoint in the academic space of the differences in those, you know, kind of starts and, you know, maybe where you see the psychedelic industry coming and if you think that'll happen faster for, for us now than it did and still happening for cannabis? Well, I, I think in some I, in some ways it will because there are multiple. We're looking at multiple, you know, agents and multiple compounds. Some of which are already, you know, FDA approved for some, you know, treatment purposes like ketamine. 
So um, while, you know, there's still things like psilocybin and LSD and MDMA may have a little bit further to, to go in terms of their acceptance in the, the medical community, um, we are seeing, I agree, a more research-focused approach as in as opposed to seeing advocacy and industry preceding the, the research, which is what we've really seen with, with cannabis, which is what makes it such an interesting and challenging space to navigate from, you know, a, a medical and, and regulatory perspective. Um, so I, I agree, it is different, um, but I, I'm really encouraged by the, the interest in, in research and the you know, the, the fact that big research institutions like Hopkins and um, are, are starting to do this research and NIH is starting to fund this research, I think we'll see a big explosion in what we know about these different agents and how they can treat different conditions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've just recently started digging more and more into some of the details about some of the research going on and talking with some of the researchers and you know, some of the psilocybin research that's going on out there, you, I mean, at least I was surprised to find out kind of the dosing protocols that are being used. And, you know, one of the researchers I was talking to said, you know, comparatively, um, you know, five to five and a half grams of dried psilocybin uh, from mushrooms. And obviously, when I say comparatively, we're working with um, synthetic psilocybin right now and most of the most of the research capacities. But for me, you know, without saying too much, you know, for those of us who have have been on journeys and you can think of, you know, putting five and a five and a half grams down the hatch, it just kind of makes you go, whoa, you know what I mean? So uh, I thought that was really interesting because I'm thinking, you know, oh, I'm sure they're microdosing and it's like, you know, people sign up, they go in and it's like, is it really worth it to go to, you know, the institution every day to do this? But then when you find out they're actually going in there and having, you know, a real journey, it's, it's interesting. Right. It is interesting. And, and I think it's important to you know, to also say that this is, this is not, these are all really controlled environments when we're, when we talk about, you know, dosing and, and large doses and these experiences, it's not just the compound itself. It goes along with a very strictly controlled, you know, psychotherapy and, and a controlled environment and someone who is, uh, who is assisting the person um, to make sure that they, they are safe, they feel safe. Um, and that um, the, you know, it's, it's not just someone doing this on their own. Um, and so I think that's important to point that out when we think about how do we apply what we learn in research to what people might actually, you know, do at home, especially, you know, in self-treating and obviously, you know, with cannabis, we know that there's lots of self-treatment. Um, so self-treating with psychedelics may or may not, you know, be the, be be equivalent, you know, and I think it's important to state that. Mm-hmm. What about um, brain health? Riley said um, just just a, a few minutes ago about the cancers in in her brain. Um, wondering about so we already we already know that MDMA and all of these other um, available drugs can can help with with depression and other ailments in the brain there's a patent 6630507 i think for the neuroprotectant that the government has with cannabis specifically how does cannabis affect brain health and is there a difference in applications like smoking it versus consuming an edible for example so you know the you know there are a lot of different compounds in cannabis, and I will say that what what the research says about the long term effects of cannabis can be again it, it can be hard to apply 
what a lot of the research says about cannabis, which typically looks at cannabis being used recreationally or cannabis being abused and apply that to a medical model. We don't have a lot of observational data on the you know, long-term effects on the brain of people who are using cannabis medically as opposed to people who are uh, you know, using it recreationally or people who are being treated for substance abuse. Um, so, so it can be hard to, hard to say, you know, to parse that out in terms of um, you know, medical cannabis versus adult use. Riley and Janie, do you guys want to jump in there as well? Yeah. Um... So I had bone tumors, but um, so I've had like nine years of MRIs and my brain has developed greatly, especially because I also have epilepsy. I'm not sure if I mentioned that earlier, but 10 days after one of my procedures, I started having seizures and um, my brain looks great for having epilepsy also because cannabis helps me control my seizures and I'm a straight A student. <laughs> so I think if anything, it's definitely helped me. I wouldn't be in school if it hadn't been for cannabis. Well, you're a straight A student, you have a job, you are in all the plays at school and you're always active in all the activities. So for me, you know, you're a living example of the opposite of the stereotype of what people yeah, think exactly. of plan, um, that you're just, you know, sitting there, you know, staying on the couch, you know, eating potato chips. Cause anytime I see you, you're active, you're going to the beach, you're hanging with your friends, you're working um, or in Greece, you know, we, we were talking about yeah. Olivia a little earlier yeah. and I know she loved that you were in Greece uh, at school. So um, I think it's great that you're bringing those stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I, um, I, really think like when we originally passed the, the first law that they named after her, that was the convincing moment is when the, the senators like looked at all of her medical reports and then she, you know, being like eight, I think you were eight years old when we Third first grade. talked to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then she starts pulling out all of her um, report cards and she, um, they're, so they're looking at all of her, you know, report cards and you can see a huge difference of like, there was one year that, you know, it was, it was before we had started the cannabis and she was in pain and her, her grades, My grades were weren't good. Yeah. Cause she's in pain and you cannot, I couldn't clearly. focus in school. And yeah. So, and we showed them that like, this is, this is before cannabis, this is afterwards and look at these grades they went from like b's to like a plus honor roll like everything you could think of and she was receiving all these awards for you know doing these state testing that's fantastic and then again like i said you're just you know breaking those those stereotypes and you know i know personally from knowing you guys that a lot of the minds you know, you, you've changed, you know, it's been reaching across the aisle. It's been, you know, the left, the right, and everyone in between. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you've made believers out of people that were not believers, and I've seen it happen right in front of my eyes. So I, I think it's amazing the power uh, that you both have with sharing your story. Are you guys just using um, THC or are there other cannabinoids? There was um, some talk about using CBD in the treatment of behavioral problems with children like autism, ADHD that we mentioned. I use CBD to help me with my smoking cravings. Uh, you know, I, my guilty pleasure is a blunt. I'm not saying it's the right thing. I'm just saying that's my guilty pleasure. And I don't want to smoke a blunt during the day. So to kind of push that off, I use CBD uh, and it kind of helps me with my smoking cravings. Is there any other unknowns out there uh, where it kind of helped where you kind of scratch your head and go, I didn't even think about that. Um, well, we had an, an um, I hope this is answering your question. We had an answer. So she, 
when she first started on the cannabis, she was taking um, high THC, high CBD. Um, and then as, you know, when she developed epilepsy, we switched out most, not all, but most of the THC with THCA. Um, and I used to, you know, fill her little capsules up, you know, before school and her brother has autism and, you know, he um, was, was, had, you know, therapists and everything. And one day he picked up her, her THCA pills and ate them because that was just something he would, I don't know, he would do. You couldn't leave things laying around like that. Um, and that day his, uh, one-on-one therapist called us and asked us if he was on any new medication because he would respond to the teacher appropriately. He answered his, he raised his hand to answer, which he hadn't done in like five years. Um, and that was like my, Oh, (laughs) let's try that again, you know? (laughs) And so, you know, he started on his journey being a medical cannabis patient as well, um, and so the, those are some of those moments that you accidentally stumble upon something. And I don't think that the, you know, THCA and CBGA, I don't think they're given enough credit um, because, you know, people, they want pain, you know, more pain relief. But like um, some of the most amazing things I've seen is somebody being doubled over with GI distress, giving them some THCA or some CBDA. And, you know, half an hour later, they're, it's like as if it never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's a lot of like, you know, aha moments that we have throughout the last seven or eight years. Yeah. And there's still so much research mm-hmm. that's going on. Well, yeah, I know that you guys have the, the farm where you guys are now have farmers mm-hmm. add that to the, the resume. Yeah. I would love to get your thoughts on, you know, obviously we saw the farm bill pass and I, you know, I always say that was like a double-edged sword because it kind of opened up access, but it also kind of created a lot of situations where we see CBD and gas stations and, you know, all crazy places like that. So what, could you share a little bit about like, you know, cultivating, producing and, and distributing CBD and hemp with, with good intention and some of the challenges and, and things that people need to think about and look out for when you do go into the grocery store or the gas station and you see something there and what are some of the things people should be looking out for since we are seeing this widespread distribution of CBD because of the farm boat? Yeah, um, sure. So um, I've noticed like a lot of like medicines that are sold in like random gas stations or stores like you mentioned, um, a lot of times they have like fake labels on them showing like what's supposed to be in the medicine. And then you like, there was this one time where there was a QR code on the label that my mom saw and she like scanned the QR code. Most people just look at it and be like, oh, it's fine. She scanned the QR code and it was a totally different different lab report than what was originally on the bottle so a lot of people um try to like show a different like sort of medicine that's not actually what it is just to make money and make people feel like it's safe like um a lot of companies like they process their oil terribly and there ends up being alcohol in the medicine or mold and i've experienced that as a patient as along with a lot of other people i'm sure and so that's a huge problem, just companies deceiving people, um, just trying to get money. Yeah. Um, and then with, with the farming, like a lot of like, you know, we learned this too, mm-hmm. like before we, work. yeah, it's a lot of work. Before <laughs> we got into farming, we knew that like, you have to have transparency and you have to have lab reports and really dissect mm-hmm. whatever it is you're putting in your body. Um, some of the things that we learned was, you know, 
you should always test your soil and your irrigation water before you even put the first seed into the ground. Hemp soaks up whatever is in the soil. Yeah. So, um, and when it's, it was interesting because when we sent all of our soil, re, um, soil samples and irrigation samples, we sent it to Waypoint Analytical and you know, when the, all the results came back, I called the, the lab tech because I just, I didn't understand the report. And I wanted to make sure that it was safe and it was okay and we could proceed with our plans um, or sell the land, disdefend <laughs> it. And, um, and he was able to explain everything to me. And he said, you're the first person who's ever called me this, you know, concerned and wanting to understand it. He said, most people will not even do this lab. They'll wonder where the metal came from in their flower and they'll still sell it. They just won't tell people that metal showed up. They'll sell it for a little less. And um, that was like still, even though I already knew people did this, it still shocked me that there were actually like farmers out there that wouldn't test their soil. And then when something pops up in their flower, they're like, oh, I don't know where that came from. Mm -hmm. it must be a mistake. I'm going to sell it anyway. Um, and so we, we run across that a lot also with, um, with, farming like just the whole process is so important to make sure that every step of the way you're you're watching checking out, things yeah. watching for mold checking your plants i mean there's like so much into it um so many different layers before it even gets to the bottle um and another thing that we learned was um by visiting dispensaries a lot of dispensaries all of their um medicines have no terpenes they add the terpenes later and i've always like wondered why you know you could just extract the terpenes um in processing ourselves, we learned why it's it's um it takes longer and it's more expensive so the process is you know you grind your flour you put your bags in and you extract the terpenes and then you take it back out and then you have to decarb and put it back in so it's really almost like a triple step compared to just running yeah. it for isolates and selling um so there you I know mean, we just learned a lot of the steps and the care that it takes and then once you learn all that you start looking around at all the other farmers and kind of scrutinizing yeah. them a little bit you yeah. know well, um, especially when you're spending more money to do it the right way and to produce you know quality it can be frustrating i'm sure seeing yeah 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 so we do go with like even when we get you know we, we sell online but even when we get emails like I mean, sometimes we probably give them too much information <laughs> because they'll ask me like one little four word question and I send them four paragraphs back, you know? Yeah. Um, but like, it's, it's just so important to educate the consumer as like, this is the process. And you even want to see that, um, that lab because we've heard mm -hmm. of a lab that's um, 20 miles from us that has like, um, when they went to get trained, certified in, in CO2 extraction, the, ins the instructor left because there's rat droppings all over the place. And this is a place that I've seen on the news and I was just like, yeah. oh, wow, you know, competition, but now I know that they're not. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, you talked a lot about the science and the testing. So I'd like to segue back to Dr. Sarah. And, you know, you are one of the co-chairs of the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy's Master's in Science cannabis science and therapeutics program. So could you share with the viewers just a little bit about that program? And I know, I think, I believe you guys are enrolling currently. So maybe also share uh, how people could learn more or even sign up if they were interested. Sure, absolutely. This is a two year part-time uh, master of science program. Uh, it is um, primarily online, although we do have students come to our campus in Rockville, Maryland, 
once per semester, so four times total over a period of two years. Uh, and this is a comprehensive uh, program really focused on the, the uh, science, so the pharmacology, the pharmaceutical science, the medicinal chemistry related to cannabinoids and uh, cannabis medicine, uh, the what we know uh, in terms of medical evidence, how to interpret medical evidence, how to apply that to uh, to patients and in, in different medical conditions, um, the policies, you know, health policy and um, advocacy. Um, related to, you know, all related to medical cannabis. So students have opportunity to take a lot of uh, different electives um, to really make this, uh, you know, an individually focused uh, degree. And we've got a really diverse group of, of students, you know, in terms of their academic and professional backgrounds. We do have clinicians who are in our program. So nurses, pharmacists that so we have um, basic scientists, so, uh, you know, microbiologists and chemists, and we have a lot of people with no science or, or medical background, so uh, patient advocates, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and business professionals, public health professionals, um, and uh, we really want to encourage that diverse group. We think it makes a really rich experience for us as faculty and hopefully for our students as well. We really promote a lot of uh, professional development and networking and, and uh, you know career development while they're in the program. Um, and um, the uh, we are accepting applications for fall of 2023. Um, we have, um, we've just uh, started our fall 2022 semester with 180 new students. Um, and so our application cycle is open for fall of 2023. Um, so um, the only requirement for uh, enrollment in the program is a bachelor's degree. Um, it doesn't need to be in a specific uh, um, a specific topic in terms of the science. We teach it all from the ground up. Um, and uh, letters of recommendation and a personal statement are things that we really highly value when we're, when we're looking at applications. Um, so yeah, um, uh, our, our, the website is pharmacy.umaryland.edu. Um, you can get to our program from there. And I highly encourage, um, if you're interested, to, uh, to check it out. And how about you guys, Riley, Janie, where can they find you guys at? So um, I have a foundation website, which is the RileySmileFoundation.org. And um, my oil company also has a website, RileySunshine.com. Uh, and I also have an Instagram, Hi.AchievingKid, um, but Hi is spelled H-I. And yeah, that's where you could reach me. I also Perfect. have a Facebook account. <laughs> We can check. find you, find you all over the place. All yeah. right, we're going to run to a commercial break. Josh and Meg, they're going to stick around, come back with us for another uh, panel. So I want to thank my guest, Dr. Leah Sarah. Uh, she, again, Associate Professor, Program Director, Master of Science in Medical Cannabis Science and Therapeutics at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, as well as Riley and Janie Maidler uh, with Riley Sunshine. Appreciate all y'all uh, for coming with us. Thanks again. Um, and we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come right back. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out check out these other videos that we've got.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.